we are going to look at maybe two of the most uh, shocking, imaginative passages in all of the Bible. And these are very closely connected. Uh, The first one is from Isaiah chapter 60. And Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus. So this is 700 years before Jesus and about 800 years before what we read in Revelation 21 and 22. And these chapters are very, very closely connected. So um, let me invite you to follow along page 4, Isaiah 60, verses 10 to 14. Verse 10, Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I've had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut, that the people may be brought, I'm sorry, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations, with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you will perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. And the sons of those who afflicted you shall come, bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet, and they shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel." So it's a picture of the people of God who've been stamped down and hard crushed and oppressed. A great reversal in the new city. And you guys know we have the name New City Fellowship not just because it's kind of a cool idea, but it comes directly from uh, Isaiah 60 and Revelation 21. So let's turn over to page 6. And this is a longer passage. And that includes both chapters 21 and 22. But this is where New City comes from. This is where we got our church name. So I'm going to read to you this revelation that comes from Jesus and is given to John. Verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, And he spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Um, I'm going to skip down to verse 22. So there's a long description of what the city looks like, and it's almost like an architectural plan. I'm going to skip down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in this city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Got that lamp, the lamp, the light is the lamb. Bang. Okay. Verse 24. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. 
they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of that tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no night. No light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, King Jesus. All right, please pray. Lord, these are strange words, and we're not used to thinking or imagining about what lies ahead of us in this way. John probably wasn't either. Uh, God, you speak, though, and your word is utterly true, and it's totally reliable, and it's true in every time and place, in every season and every circumstance. So God, right now, we're asking that you would send your Holy Spirit to help us understand what this means for us in our lives, in the week ahead, in the months ahead, in the, the year that is ahead of us. God, would you please do that, and would it make us respond to you with more praise, more glory, and more understanding? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we're going to keep page six open. Um, We're going to be looking at this vision that the Apostle John, John, who was one of the beloved apostles, the closest disciple of Jesus. We're going to be looking at that. And uh, if, you need, if you need that bulletin or you, need, you don't have it in front of you, I'd encourage you to have it. It'll just, make, it'll just be easier to follow along. We'll point out a couple key things along the way. But um, I'd love to, before we dig in, I'd love to ask you to think about something with me. I don't know if you agree with me about this or not. But I have always thought that this time of the year, uh, August, right now, back, back to school time, I have always thought that this is actually really our new year. Now, I know everyone loves New Year's. I love New Year's. Some in plenty of cultures, New Year's is actually the biggest celebration. It's much bigger than Christmas. Uh, new Year's is the, the festival or the holiday Uh, in the middle of winter that people really get excited for. Um, But I think actually this time of year is is actually our new year. Uh, Think about it. New new school season. Uh, Oftentimes with new school season means uh, you got to go back to go back and do some shopping. Did anybody do any shopping for yourself or for kids? To get ready to go back to school, maybe your old shoes aren't really 
fitting all that well or uh, okay well uh, I always this was always the time of year that I'd go and get new shoes and you know my, my mom would say you you put a hole in every piece of clothing this summer we got to get you some new clues new uh, shorts for school so uh, the, the pace of our of our life changes pretty significantly summertime uh, there's a great song that says, summertime and the living's easy. <laughs> the leisure of summer, the vacations of summer, the pace of summer. We're looking for a pool. We're looking for a splash pad. Looking for some air conditioning. All that stuff comes to an end in August, and we are looking ahead at what's, what's in front of us over the next couple weeks and months, saying, okay, it's time, it's time to gear back up. It's time to buckle down. Summer is over, and there's a whole year ahead of us. Do you, do you agree with me or not? What do you think? Do you, feel, do you feel more of the spirit of New Year's on January 1st or um, this time of August? What do you, what do you think? N- now feels like New Year? Well... Let me invite you to do one other thought experiment with me. If you would just uh, grant the point, I'd like to ask you to do something else that we do at New Year's, or it's very common at least in our culture, and that is to think about resolutions. Maybe you make New Year's resolutions every year, maybe you don't, but I want to ask you right now, looking ahead to the coming weeks and months, the next school year, Let's think about some resolutions. Let's look ahead to the future together and ask, what what does God have in store for us next? What how do we how do we think about it? What do you what do you think about when you think about making your resolutions? Time, habits, you want to change some habits, want to get rid of some old habits, start some new ones? Man, I would, I've always said, I, this is the year I'm going to learn how to play the djembe drum. <laughs> or this is the year I'm going to take up woodworking. Or this is the year we're really going to get finances in order. Or email in order. Or I'm just going to clean my kitchen and try to keep it clean. Or I'm going to read through the Bible. You know, it, the freshness of the new year is great. I love it. We're looking ahead and saying, okay, God, what? What's, what's ahead? Let, let, me, let me get ready for it. Let me not miss it. So what, let's, let's think about the future together. Um, we're going to do that, and we, we usually do that at New City this time of year. It's not just uh, a time for reimagining school and work, but also church life. Uh, very often, this time of year, we will go and look at, um, now you can change from page six and go back to the front of your bulletin. Very often, at this time of the year, we look at uh, the new city core values and our vision, our mission. And I'd like to ask you to read it with me real quick, because um, this is actually a great time to imagine what does the future of this vision and this undertaking look like? 
um, I'm going to read. I'm going to read the vision, which is uh, below first, and then I'm going to read those four core commitments. New City Fellowship is a cross-cultural Christian community gathering for worship in East Dallas, and we believe that the grace of Jesus Christ reconciles sinners to the living God and unites neighbors from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Oftentimes we would just say more simply, we envision being a Christ-centered, worshiping family from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different languages and a lot of different life experiences. But our belief is that because of Jesus, we can share life and do life together. And the four actions, the, the core commitments that we've always said, even before we were a church, this is what we hope characterizes our life together, that we would believe the gospel, that we would, and these are on that front, your front bulletin too, um, that we would believe the gospel, that we would celebrate grace, that we would make disciples, and that we would love neighbors near and far. I'd like to just say a quick comment, short comment on each of those core commitments in light of this passage from Revelation. Because like I said before, even our name, <laughs> New City, well, it has a great, it, it, means, it means restoration in our neighborhood. It means God is going to bring new possibilities to our community. That's what we hope it means locally. But what I just said before from, from this passage in Revelation, the idea of the new city is actually not, it's not mine. It's not, you guys, some of y'all remember Pastor Randy, Grandpa, Grandpa Randy, who planted the first new city church in 1973 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's not, it's not new city St. Louis. It's not new city Kinshasa. It's not new city Nairobi, not new city Dallas. It's in Revelation 21, it's God's new city. And so there's actually ways that even in what he tells us about the future, there's ways we get our own ideas of what we want to be and how we want to be God's city, his people together. So, big idea. The big idea of page six. The big idea of Revelation 21 and 22. The very last words in the entire Bible. The big idea that the Bible ends on is this. It says, heaven is coming. Heaven is coming. We just prayed it in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven come. Jesus came once. He's coming back again. And the promise at the end of the Bible is that heaven is is coming. And John actually gets this vision from an angel of that heaven coming down, and it's described as this city. Uh, he says at the beginning of chapter 21, I saw the new heavens and the new earth. And then here in verses 9 and following, it says, and the angel took me up on a high mountaintop. And again, John is not, um, he's not literally traveling like uh, Islam teaches that Muhammad was literally picked up by an angel and transported to another place. John is 
receiving a vision, and it's like he's on a mountaintop, and the angel shows him, maybe he's dreaming, maybe he is in some other kind of state, we don't really know, but the angel shows him what is going to happen in the future. Now, John, this was 2,000 years ago when John got this vision, but what is the vision? Heaven is coming. <laughs> from, from where God is, He is bringing His rule, His order, His city to the earth. There is a very famous New Testament scholar named Greg Beale who lives in Dallas. He just moved to Dallas a couple, months, or a couple years ago. He's written books and books and books and books on the book of Revelation. And what he says <laughs> simply is that heaven, the city, is going to encompass the earth. Earlier we were, taught, we were singing about how uh, His mercy is more, how Jesus' mercy swallows up our sin. Well, the picture at the end of Revelation is of heaven in the form of this city swallowing earth. The earth is not like burnt up in fire. The earth is not like, you know, God's not like kicking this like earth soccer ball away into some other galaxy. The city comes down and it encompasses the created order. And if, if Jesus were to come tomorrow, the city would come down. Now you can go and read um, on your own the actual architectural description. It's pretty interesting. It's described as this perfect cube, 12,000 stadia long, and that's like 1,400 miles, 1,400 miles. It's a huge thing that he sees coming down, and it's described as having this unbelievable radiance and the most fine, precious jewels. And, you know, there's a lot of, again, it's very rich imagery. The, the simple point is that heaven is coming. That's the future. That's what your future and my future is. In fact, that's it. it says all of history, this is true. Heaven is going to come. Jesus who came once will come again. And he'll bring heaven with him. How does that connect? Now remember, I said it's like the New Year's. What are you thinking about? What plans are you making? I'm pretty sure none of you were thinking when I said, what, what are your resolutions? I'm pretty sure none of you are thinking about heaven coming to earth. But I don't know. It's going to happen sometime. What if it's during our lifetime? We don't know. Uh, John, John says at the beginning of the book of Revelation, the time is near. He wrote that 2,000 years ago. The people of God have been waiting for this reality, this coming reality, to happen for a long time. We may be in the early days of the church. We may be in the last days. We don't know. But heaven is coming. That's what's in our future. Now, let me share how that reality and that hopeful reality, that's a, that's a hopeful, deeply life-giving possibility. Let me share how that connects with our core commitments of believing the gospel, of celebrating grace, of making disciples, of loving neighbors. Um, let's look first at, at this uh, glorious arrival that happens, that dis that's described um, in 
verse 9 and following. As I said earlier, John is pictured, uh, or John is uh, receiving this vision, comes from Jesus. These are actually not John's words. I know we've, I said <laughs> last week I told y'all that we were going to uh, be done with John, and I was sort of telling the truth, because these are actually not John's words. This is not John's uh, letter writing. He's not writing a letter like he was to the churches uh, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's also not recording the gospel according to his purposes. He receives this vision from Jesus himself. Uh, the opening chapter of John says that the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, the things that must soon take place. And God made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who was a witness to the word of God and gave testimony to Jesus and all that he saw. The word at the beginning of Revelation, it says that this is Jesus' revelation. It says it's his apocalypsis is the Greek word for that. That's where we get our word apocalypse. Have you heard the word apocalypse before? Typically, in our understanding of apocalypse, we're thinking about the future. Apocalypse is like this catastrophic conflict. That's kind of how the word gets used in, in our English language. It doesn't mean that originally. It means unveiling. It means revealing, like a bride who is having her, her veil pulled back, and you can see her face clearly. Jesus is showing us the future. He's showing John what is going to happen for the people of God. And we were joking earlier because uh, it was raining. Praise the Lord. It was a nice rain. I know everyone is grateful for that. Um, but Yanu was joking with me because he said, yeah, I was going to go bike riding this morning, but I checked the weather forecast and it said it was going to rain. So I didn't get on my bike, but then the rain didn't come. But, you know, finally the rain did come. So how do you even make sense? What, I don't know. What, what do you think about the weather forecast? Do you trust? Do you trust the weatherman? Do you trust what the weatherman has to say? Kelly and I used to laugh all the time. Um, when we were living in Boston, you know, it's like winter, half of the year up in Boston. And you try to make plans. And it says, well, there's probably going to be some snow this weekend. And early on, we would cancel our plans if there was even the forecast of snow. But then when it didn't come, we got so upset because we're like, we're trying to plan our whole social life around the weather report, the weather forecast. Can't even trust it. And so after a while, we just said, ah, who cares what the weather says? It's always going to snow. We're just going to do our thing anyway. I don't know what relationship you have with um, the weather forecasters, but it's interesting to think about. Who do you trust with the future? Who will you allow to speak and share about what's likely to take place. Uh, this past week, I heard an interview with a man who was the former president of Harvard, and this guy had also been the secretary of the treasury under Bill Clinton. He served under uh, President Obama's White House uh, economic advisory team. Uh, this guy's name is Lawrence Summers, and he has been in the news recently because he said, uh, he was predicting that there would be inflation, like the prices were going to go up because of some of the political policies that were put in place. 
And he, was, he got a lot of criticism for it. And as he was being interviewed, the, the person said, hey, okay, well, you, you were saying this might lead to inflation two years ago. What do you think is going to happen now? And this economist, this very smart man said, oh, I don't mess with, I don't predict the future. I won't make forecast. I know how foolish that is. I'm a, he's like, I don't, actually don't think he wants to be accountable for what his predictions are. But the question is, it's really worth asking. Like, who, who do you trust for predictions about the future? And how will you make your plans accordingly? Do you, what, what, I mean, our, our first core commitment says, believe the gospel. And it's worth asking in our day and age, what do you believe? People will say anything. Um, on my way driving down here today, I saw uh, in one of the neighboring churches, uh, they had a little sign in the front yard of the church, and it said, come and hear this conference about all of the prophecies that have to happen in the book of Revelation. And it had this poster, and there was a picture of a guy in a hood, and he was going like this, like, shh. Like he was going to be telling secrets. And, I mean, would you trust that? <laughs> I, got, I actually got a, a piece of mail advertising this. Thought, I thought, please, I, I probably do know some families that will go to this. And I just want to say, is this trustworthy? Is, you know, but maybe you also have that same question about, well, what about Pastor Robbie? What about what, about what, what he's saying? What, what is the source of authority that you trust? Uh, I mean, Isaac, if we were talking about uh, Udu culture and we were talking about like a traditional, traditional authority, what does that look like? It looks, who is the ultimate authority among the Udu? The chief? <laughs> the elders? There's, there's sort of this hierarchy, right? The people, <laughs> the, the people at the top are the, are the authorities and what they say goes, right? Um, when Kelly and I lived in St. Louis and we worked with uh, refugees from Nepal, uh, one, there was one very large extended family. There were about 70 people that belonged in this big one family unit. And they had one old grandpa. And that family, all that family was uh, Hindus. But this grandpa, after a couple years, he became a Christian. And... Overnight, the entire family of 70 also became Christian. I mean, they all showed up at church the next Sunday, and it was pretty cool. Um, did, did they, what were they doing? Like, well, how did the other 69 come to that conclusion? Well, he was their authority, and what he said went. Now, we could talk about 10 years later and how many of those folks are walking with Jesus and you know, there, there are a lot of different versions of authority, claims to authority. Who are you going to trust? What, is, what does our culture have to say about authority, about what you should, who you should actually believe? What would our culture say? We actually take that traditional hierarchy and we flip it the other way so that everything, it, it, it becomes an arrow. And which way does that arrow point? The arrow points to me, <laughs> 
we are the American culture, the Europe, the West, the children of the, of the Enlightenment. Uh, there's a very famous French philosopher named Descartes, Rene Descartes, and he said, hundreds of years ago, he said, I think, therefore I am. Do you hear the claim to authority that he's making? And in, in so many ways, that is our cultures, our neighborhoods, our cities' practice of belief. I'll believe me. I'm the ultimate authority. I'm the ultimate, uh, I, what I decide goes. And we're seeing now in, in, our, in our own day and age, the confusion that is coming because of that, right? Radical, individual, autonomy says, well, I can, I can, I'm my own ultimate highest authority. If I think I'm something different from what I was born, then... <laughs> Then, then that's true. And we're literally, the, some of the tension in our, in our current, in our country, is around this very concept of authority. Who gets to say? Sci the med medical, even medicine, is having to, in some instances, acknowledge there is a higher authority even than the scientific method. It's the individual, what the individual says is ultimate. And how does that work out? How is that working out? How does that work out in your life? You try to live your life by being the ultimate authority? John says in Revelation that he has been an eyewitness. He saw firsthand this man, this God-man, Jesus, do unbelievable things. He saw healing. He saw the weather stopped, right? Now, that, that's the real weather forecast. Jesus says to the storm, stop. He saw demons cast out into a herd of pigs and 2,000 pigs jump off the cliff. He saw a dead man alive again. He heard and saw and was friends with the truth, the way, the life with Jesus. And he says, we can give testimony. We're witnesses because we've seen the proof. And I would just say to you that the proof in our, in our, in our walk together, new city, tiny church, trying to labor for the kingdom of God to come, for the new city to come, there are so many ways that Believing and trusting this authority, this ancient word, 2,000-year-old prophecy. Are you, I just, let me ask you for a moment. Are you really telling me that you are willing to let this 2,000-year-old prophecy shape your expectation of the future? We won't even trust the weatherman. But that's what John is saying. He's saying this is what was revealed to me, and you can trust it because I also was an eyewitness to things I never would have imagined could have happened. I walked with Jesus. I saw it with my own eyes. So what is, that, that, that's the difficulty of belief today. But like we said last week, everyone is going to imitate somebody. Well, you're also, everybody's going to believe somebody. There is some version of, 
of truth that everyone will believe, even if you make yourself the ultimate authority. Hopefully you see the foolishness of that. Actually, the revelation, the idea that God would speak to us and that we could hear God speak and know something about what he means, that's actually an enormous gift in an age which says it's all about what I think. Everything is relative. Who's to say? No, God defines reality. Believe him, trust him, and this future is part of that reality. Um, what, what are we actually called to believe in, in this in these last chapters of Revelation? Like, what's the gospel? The gospel is that there's a lamb, and the lamb has come, and originally the lamb was slain. In Revelation chapter 5, it says, uh, worthy is the one that was slain to receive glory and honor and wisdom and power, and there's this huge celebration of the lamb that came. But it says the lamb that came once is going to return, and when the lamb who came once comes back, the Lamb is Jesus, he is going to do battle. Okay, this is, now this is where it starts to get into the fantasy element. And our, we, need, we actually need middle school imaginations, Rasha, Thomas, so you guys can help us out. The Lamb comes back to do battle with a dragon. And the dragon is not by himself. The dragon has a second in command, a beast. And the beast has a second in command, uh, a, a false prophet. And these three are like the unholy trinity of the book of Revelation. These three try to make war. They do make war, because this is not just telling the future, it also interprets our present. These three make war against the people of God. They deceive, they kill, they destroy, they seduce, they, they tell lies. These three are constantly making war. This unholy trinity making war against God and the Lamb. And the Lamb comes back a second time, and the chapters before this tell this incredible story of this huge battle, and the Lamb conquers. The first time he conquers by being slain. The second time he comes not in humiliation, but in exaltation, in power, in glory. And he crushes his enemies. And he takes the enemies, the unholy Trinity, and he throws them into a lake of, what does he throw them into? The lake of fire. It's the place, it's, it's the outcome for all of Jesus' enemies. And no one unclean can be part, can, can belong or be present in the new city that's coming. The lamb takes them and he throws them out. He, he kicks them to the curb. And our, I mean, that's what ought to happen to evil. That's what ought to happen to murderous dictators. That's what ought to happen to uh, unending liars, to those that would refuse, that, that, that celebrate what's detestable and false, that they would, be, they would be separated from what is pure and holy. That's what the Lamb does. And... As that victory is now unfolding in front of John in this vision, what we see is, uh, well, it's, it's our logo. What, look back at page, at, at the opening. Does that look like a big part? Does, does our logo look like a, what, do you, what would you say? Does it look like a solitary meal or a big festive party? <laughs> 
The solitary part is supposed to be a reference to communion, but the colorful, uh, expressive colors on the, the legs of the table, that's supposed to hopefully suggest something about a celebration, like a feast. And it says, after the lamb conquers his enemies, there's a feast, a marriage, a marriage feast. The lamb marries the bride, his people. The lamb marries the bride, and that bride, that wedding feast, is what is pictured in um, just before the passage we read. The feast honors the victor. And here's just the question. Sometimes, plenty of times, life at New City has not felt like victory. I know that. I know that you feel that. And there's a lot of ways that I know that we have experienced that in our own uh, individual private walks, but also together. There's a lot that we've been through a lot together. Oftentimes, it does not feel like a victory or a wedding feast. The promise of the future is that the Lamb will have the greatest feast, the greatest banquet of all time. That's what is coming. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's, that's what's in front of us? And maybe that rich, lavish feast even awaits us soon. That one is by far the longest of what we're going to talk about. And it's probably... It's, <laughs> More than anything else, the, the tension that we feel between belief and unbelief in trying to follow Christ, trusting Him, waiting for Him, waiting for Him to fulfill what we think is imminent, that tension is one of the hardest things today. But that's our, that's our solid foundation, believing the gospel. The Lamb who came once will return, and He will bring a feast. All right, secondly, secondly, celebration. Celebrating. The feast is a celebration. It's a party. Who's, who's making the music mix? Who's cooking? Uh, I, always, I almost said, oh man, boy, I could go for some mandazi. Who's making the chow parte? Who's cooking? I, well, we're going to have coleslaw and fruit next week. Um, I'm not sure if that makes it on my menu, but uh, the celebration of what Jesus has done, what God has done, is it's so oh, it's so beautiful in in this. It's all over the Book of Revelation, but it's very very pronounced here. Um, the city, John sees the holy city coming down. It radiates. It's so beautiful because God is in its midst. God is the center of it. God is the source of light. But look at what happens next at the celebration um, in verse 23. So the city is there. The glory of God gives it its light. And look at what happens in verse 20, 24. You can see the celebration. By the light of this city, by the light of God, will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. 
And the picture that we have, the future, is of all the children of God in every age, in every uh, nation, <laughs> in every time, in all kinds of different clothing, with all kinds of different food, <laughs> with all kinds of different music, with all kinds of different cultures that reflect the individual particularity, everyone is going to bring that before the throne. It's going to be the greatest procession of the nations that the world has ever seen. I don't know what you think about that. Um, God himself is there in the center, so the celebration is focused on him. It's not focused on the nations. It's not focused on humanity. It's focused on God. He is in the center, and all of the nations are coming, streaming to it, bringing their best, bringing their finest um, German engineering, Marshall, <laughs> bringing their finest Congolese dance and their finest Egyptian linen and their finest Oklahoman steel resolve. I don't know. <laughs> the finest. Why? It's a celebration. And it's a celebration not of just the United Nations or the Olympic ceremony. or It's a celebration of the grace of God, the goodness of God, start to finish. He's done it. <laughs> and now there is eternal celebrating. Who isn't there? Not everyone is there in this celebration. Verse 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter this celebration, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written into the Lamb's book of life. Not everyone will be there. This is not something. We don't actually celebrate this part, but it's so essential to say. Anyone that does not bow the knee to the Lamb will not be there to celebrate in the, fest, in the festival. Anyone that does not does not give their ultimate trust to the king, but is part of the rebellion against him, they will be separated. Nothing unclean can be in the presence of this perfect celebration. So here's the question for us again. Looking ahead to this new year, are you longing to celebrate grace, to celebrate Jesus to celebrate what he has done and what he will do like this? Simply put, are you bringing your best? Are you longing to see your brothers and sisters bring their best? Not leftovers. Remember, that was, uh, that was Cain, right? Cain brought the leftovers and God didn't regard it. <laughs> this, is, this is the best. I don't know what it would feel like. And I would, it would be so fun to talk about the, maybe the time in your life or maybe you've been a part of some experience where you got maybe just a little bit closer to this kind of international celebration, this kind of transcultural, transtemporal. That's what awaits us. And it's what God deserves. 
And <laughs> we don't have to just wait until the lamb comes back. We can practice that now. That's why, you know, if it didn't talk, <laughs> if Jesus was not telling John, hey, in the new heavens and the new earth, it's just going to be one big family. There's not going to be the Rwandan heavens and the new earth. There's not going to be the Texas city and the North Carolina city and the Uruk city. It's one, it's one family. All of those who have dipped their stained garments in the blood of the Lamb. If that was not the vision, we would not attempt to be the kind of community that we seek to be. But this is where we're headed. A cross-cultural celebration of the grace of Jesus. I long for more. I hope you do. Making disciples. That's the third element of our, of our core value. That's, that's the third distinctive thing that we're, ju- we're just always going to be about making disciples. Not just of our own kids. What does disciple-making look like in the new heavens and the new earth? Are we going to need us to keep training one another, teaching one another, repenting to one another, and spurring one another on? It's going to look a little bit different. <laughs> Praise the Lord! It's going to look so... Do you know what it's going to look like? Discipleship. Growing more Christ-like in, in, in His city, in the, the new city... It's going to look like comprehensive healing. This, look at the river that's described in verse 1. There's a river that's flowing out of this throne. It's, it's flowing out of the middle. Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48 talk about this river. Actually, uh, 500 years before Jesus, it prophesies that there's a river that's going to come. That reminds us of the river of uh, the rivers um, that the Garden of Eden was... Uh, situated between, but this river is going to flow out, and, and in Ezekiel, he describes it as this, it's little, it's going to just come out just like a little trickle out of the throne, but it's going to deepen, and it's going to widen, and pretty soon, it's going to become this massive flowing cataract that transforms everything. Uh, the, the salt water is going to be made fresh. The, the stuff that can't live in the dirty river is going to be made clean. This river of life is going to flow out from the throne and it's going to bring life to the trees and the fruit and the leaves from the trees are going to bring healing to the nations. Healing to the nations. Healing to the Uduk. Healing to the Rwandans. Healing to black and white. Healing to Tutsi and Hutu. We're going to be part of that work. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like in the new heavens and the new earth. Maybe you just imagine um, (laughs) heaven coming and we're all just chilling in hammocks. I can think of Mary Ellen's hammock right now. (laughs) We're just going to be sitting by the riverside chilling in a hammock? No, there is going to be active healing happening. The nations, human relations are going to be resolved Things are going to get fixed. Reconciliation is going to happen in the new heavens and the new earth. What a vision! 
What an expectation. Who among us is ready to say that Ukrainians and Russians will praise God together in the new heavens and new earth? Or who among us is prepared to say that your enemy or my enemy, we're going to be there together, worshiping and healing together. That's what discipleship is headed towards. Because even Peter says we'll be made partakers of the divine nature. We're not God. We're not, we'll never be God. But we will be participants of God's work. Pretty awesome. Lord, come quickly. <laughs> Finally. And this one was maybe the most surprising to me. Um, our, our last core value is loving neighbors near and far. And we've always tried to do that with a, a particular focus on the overlooked among us, the people at the margins among us, but also overseas. in the new heavens and the new earth, in the new city that comes down, this new spirit of celebration and the healing that flows out of the city and heals the nations, flows out of God's people and it brings blessing. You know what it says loving neighbors is going to look like? Verse 5, the very end. The Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We will not need mercy in, in the new city. There's not going to be the need for a mercy offering. <laughs> There's no more mercy collection. We're going to be participants in ruling with God himself. The word, uh, it, says, it says we're going to reign, not like the reign that we saw out here, but reign like a king reigns. The word in Greek is called basuluo. That's the word for a king. That's what kings do. In the new heavens and the new earth, we are going to rule with God in his new city that swallows up all that is sad, all that is is broken. Everything that is sad will be made untrue. This is what's coming. And circumstances, our circumstances that are in front of us, I mean, what, what does October hold? <laughs> what does February hold for us? We don't know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But this is where we're headed. The, the weatherman gives us the forecast, and we say, sure. We will not trust the weatherman. Or if he's an Oklahoma, I trust the Oklahoma weatherman. <laughs> Here's the vision that an angel gave Jesus' closest disciple. It's Jesus' very words that have been giving confidence and assurance to people in the darkest of times, in the loneliest of times, the people of God feeling themselves to be utterly threadbare, trampled upon, totally confused and discombobulated, not sure which way is up. This is where we're headed. And it, it doesn't change. Because there wasn't a weatherman that gave this report. But God himself. There is a glorious thing coming. It's the new city. And we're going to celebrate 
like we've never celebrated before. We will, it will be the most overwhelming, indescribable worship service of all time. In fact, there will be no time. It will just continue and keep going. We'll be healers and reconcilers, people of peace, ambassadors of healing. And we will even reign with God, extending this new Eden, this new temple, until it encompasses all the earth. So when does that start? We just have to chill and wait and just keep coming to keep coming to New Covenant Sunday, go about our business, maybe a Costco run in the week, or you know, fill the car up, go through the motions. It already has begun. Jesus started it. The Lamb came once and he's coming back. And when he returns, there will be no mistaking the glory of that new city too long for that. I know I do. Please pray with me. Lord, you reign. You are on the throne. You are seated at the right hand of God Almighty. (laughs) Your enemies will become your footstool. You will lead a great festival, a great procession, a great parade of victory, and everyone will celebrate it. Everyone will acknowledge it. Everyone will be in awe at the one who was the man of sorrows, who was despised and rejected and abhorred, and kings turned their eyes, wouldn't even look you in the face. But Jesus, when you return And when the new city descends, and when, God, you yourself are at the center, giving light and life and cleanliness and hope and joy and celebration and satisfaction, world without end, (laughs) when that happens, Lord, we'll be face to face with you. And we will know you. And we will no longer walk by faith, but we will walk by sight. And we'll be able to tell you face to face. And you'll know us by name. And you'll call on us to give our testimony and tell our story. God, we don't want to wait for that. We can't wait for that. It's the future that's breaking into the present, even now. And that will be true today, tomorrow, until that glorious day. So Lord, I pray that you would fill us up with hope. Lord, I pray that you would fill us up with longing. Lord, I pray that you would fill us up with honesty, repentance, obedience, empowerment, celebration, sacrifice, selflessness. Lord, make us look like you. Glorify your servants so that we might glorify our King. We pray this, Jesus, in your matchless name. Amen.